Open up your Bibles to First uh, Peter, chapter four. Uh, let's see. This month marks, uh, I think, thirteen years since I've been pastor here. Can you believe it's been thirteen years? I started when I was uh, fourteen years old. Um, <laughs> over those years, I've I've had this shift in uh, w- one of the areas of uh, thinking that's different from when I went to school, uh, and that's the area of spiritual gifts that we're going to uh, talk about today. When I was in college and seminary, uh, the way you discern your spiritual gift was uh, you took this test. There was like a survey that you would fill out that was like part personality test, uh, part aptitude test, and you would answer all of these different questions. Uh, do, do you like working behind the scenes? Do you like working with people? Uh, do, do you like to sing? Uh, uh, do you enjoy encouraging people? Do you like to teach? Uh, uh, do you empathize with hurting people? Do you like organization and playing? You'd mark yes or no or one through five for all of these uh, different questions that they would have. And, and then you'd plug the answers into this little chart and it would tell you, oh, based on all those answers, here's what your spiritual gifts are. Uh, and when I filled mine out back in seminary, uh, that my top three spiritual gifts were teaching, Prophecy, which is weird, uh, and, and wisdom, which is also weird. Uh, <laughs> teaching is defined as being able just to, just to like explain what the word of God means. Wisdom, at least in that test, or not was prophecy was defined as, as like the, the ability to boldly tell people about what, what God says. And then wisdom was being able to help people apply what the word of God says. So, I was a full-time Bible student who was spending all my time studying the Bible, and my spiritual gift inventory discerned that I liked to talk about the Bible. (laughs) Surprising, right? I'm not sure I got my money's worth on that test. Uh, Now, I I don't think that that spiritual gift inventory things are like completely bad. I think there's some value to them. They really do help us think through uh, how we want to serve in the church and, and some of the ways that, that we might do that. Uh, but it does seem like there's maybe some, some problems with that way of discerning what our spiritual gift is. And one problem is that tests like those can cause people maybe to get a little bit pigeonholed or typecast, right? Like I took this test once and it said my gift was hospitality. So I will do that and nothing else. Don't even ask me. Or my gift is leadership. And so if you need me to lead, great. If, if you don't, if you already have enough leaders, well, then I'll just go to a different church. Or uh, like my spiritual gift is a prayer. So don't ever ask me to serve in the nursery because I'm not going to do that. And I, I, don't think, I don't think that's how gifts were intended to operate. And in fact, I think that might kind of be a version of the problem that the church in Corinth was having that Paul had to help correct them with. People had this idea of what their gift should be that was based largely on on what they wanted to do, what what they thought they were good at. And, And in that church, it just so happened that everybody had like the cool, fancy, showy gifts and so Paul has to write him and say, no, that's, that's not how that happens. Not everybody can be like the face of the church. Somebody's going to have to be the armpit. Like, uh. <laughs> I also fear that sometimes spiritual gift surveys do more uh, to tell us like, 
what we are good at or what we like, because that's how they're structured. That's how questions are phrased. But when we open up the Bible, we see God calling people to do things that they aren't necessarily good at and that they don't necessarily like or want to do. And so that seems to be a little bit of a tension there. And why? Why does God call people to do things that they aren't necessarily good at and don't necessarily like? So that they're forced to rely on him and his strength and his power and so that God gets all the glory. Another issue is that I'm, I'm just not sure that there's this definitive list of spiritual gifts, right? I mean, the book that I filled out, it, it compiled a list of spiritual gifts from places like uh, 1 Corinthians and Romans and, and from this passage that we're going to look at here in, in 1 Peter 4 and from Ephesians, even from Old Testament passages that talked about God uh, gifting people with these gifts of craftsmanship to build the tabernacle, But the main point of all those passages isn't like, here's the list of gifts. I think the main point is serve faithfully in the church in whatever way God has called you to. And here's some examples of what that might look like. I don't don't know that there is a list, like a definitive list. I I think it's more about about it being an attitude of, service, a willingness to serve in whatever way there's a need. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians that the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he sees fit, and they're given for the common good of the church. So they aren't just things that we want to do, and they're things that in in some way help to contribute to the overall health of the body of Christ. So here's this tension that I see at play here. Spiritual gifting seems to be something that's more than just a job. It's it's more than us just doing something that we're good at and that we enjoy at church. It's more than just a talent, but it can involve talent, right? Like being able to sing or play guitar. It seems like there's also this sense that it's something that we're called to. Something that God empowers us for. But that doesn't necessarily have to mean that it's something that's like grandiose and, and huge like, or upfront, like we maybe think when we think about God's calling. Like, I, I don't know, I think Delia, who's our custodian, is called and gifted by God to clean the church in a way that's, that's awesome. And she does it like with a, with a desire to serve God like she's serving him and, and not men. I think the guys who show up to mow the lawns and keep the grounds looking good are called and gifted by God for that. And it seems like, well, that's just mowing a lawn. That's a basic thing. Yeah, but it contributes to the building up of the body of Christ. I think even like my 14-year-old daughter who's upstairs videotaping, uh, she's not just doing that because she's the pastor's kid and she has to. She genuinely loves that job and she takes it serious and she takes pride in it. She's called and gifted by God for it. So, so with, with all that in mind, the big question that we have when we approach spiritual gifts is, is how do we know what it is that God has called and gifted me for? And if it's not through filling out a survey, then how do I know what I'm supposed to do? What does God want me to do in service of Him? 
Well, I'm glad you asked, because I think this passage right here in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 is one of the best spots in the whole Bible that, that talks about how spiritual gifts are supposed to function. Chapter 4, starting in verse 7, he says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who speaks the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, just a, just a quick recap so we understand this passage in its context. Peter is writing this letter to Christians who are facing uh, uh, persecution and suffering and abuse, and, and there's more to come for them. And he's reminding them that, that suffering is a normal part of life, even the Christian life. And they are to live, even during those times of pain, like Christ lived. Last week in the first part of chapter 4, Peter encouraged us to live with the same purpose and obedience that Jesus Christ had. He encouraged us to leave behind all those, those negative, harmful, destructive habits that used to define us before we were united with Christ. Those old ways of living are, are not who we are anymore. And here, in this section, he reminds us now of who we are and what we are supposed to do because we're connected with Jesus. And it starts with having a, a mindset of service. A mind that's geared towards serving Jesus. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Peter here saying that the end of all things is, is near is, has been the source of all kinds of different w weird ideas about the, the end times. But I, really, I think Peter is simply saying that everything that needs to happen for Jesus to return has, has happened. Uh, now we're just waiting for God's timing. The next big thing that's coming in the course of, of redemptive history is Jesus' return. And, and Jesus will return just like He left from the sky. And, and He'll return triumphantly. And He'll return suddenly, right? Like a thief in the night. And there's, there's no doubt about the fact that He could come back at any moment. And so in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again soon, be ready. Be mentally ready. We need to have sound judgment and a sober spirit. Peter's saying, listen, don't, don't be so distracted by the things of this world. 
And, and don't look for escape in the different things of this world, which is important for, for them to hear as people who are facing some suffering and some difficulty and might be tempted to look for ways of escape. It's important for us to hear as people who face a lot of different things in this world, and we might be tempted to look for ways to escape. But our mindset instead needs to be one of readiness and alertness and bathed in, in prayer. So that whatever God has for us to do in the meantime before Jesus comes back, we do it with resolve and commitment and we, and we take it seriously. But at the same time, we don't ever try and do it under our own power or in our own strength, right? We stay connected to God through prayer. We, we, we lean on Him. And, and anything that takes our eyes off of Christ's imminent return, anything that distracts us and limits our prayers will ultimately weaken us and make us ineffective. So a mindset of service is one that is, is ready and is focused and is prayerful. Before we get into actually serving in any kind of way, we've we got to have our head Screwed on straight there. The next thing that Peter talks about here after having a mind that's ready to serve is having a heart of service. Verse 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. So if, if a mindset of service is one that's sober and expected and prayerful, a heart of service, then, is one that is loving. Just selflessly loving. A fervent love for other people is a prerequisite to any kind of service to God in the church. And Paul talks a lot about this, right? Paul's discussion about spiritual gifts is way longer. He covers like three chapters in 1 Corinthians, 12, 13, and 14. And really, chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians is Paul dealing with like making sure we understand how spiritual gifts are supposed to work, kind of uh, corrects their error in thinking. It's, it's, it's not like we should pursue the showy gifts. It's the Holy Spirit that gives them out, and they're for the benefit of everybody. And so he kind of helps us understand it better. But then chapter 13 is where he talks about the heart, where he talks about our, our, our attitude that has to be, be present if we're going to serve. And, and Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love... I've become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love doesn't brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. 
is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things and believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things. This, this famous love chapter is set in the context of his discussion on spiritual gifts. And what Paul is saying is pretty much the same thing that Peter is saying. Be fervent in your love for one another. Paul's just a little bit more long-winded about it than Peter. But Paul's warnings are something that we have to pay attention to. What he's saying is that without love, it doesn't matter what you do. You could do the most religious-y, churchy things in the world, and it won't matter if it's not done with this heart of love. Without the right heart motive for service, then we might as well not serve at all. In fact, it would be better if you just didn't serve at all. Sobering that he would write this because it suggests that it's possible for us to serve, to do things, even within the church, with the wrong motives. Peter says that, that love covers over a multitude of sins. And he's still talking to Christians here. I mean, he's still talking about our interactions as believers within the church, right? Which is, what do you mean? You mean that there's going to be like conflict and frustration and disagreements even within the church? No way. It could happen. It's possible. Not here, but some places it could happen. Because we're all just like flawed, sinful, fallen people. Even in the church, we make mistakes, we act selfishly, we mess up. But love, when we're serving together with love, it covers over a multitude of that stuff. It means that we're patient with each other. It means that we extend this kind of selfless love that, that Paul defined for us. It means that we're not easily provoked and we don't take into account wrongs suffered. means that we extend grace because we understand just how much grace we've been given. So a heart of, of service, one that loves others is first and foremost, but, but there's more to it, right? There's more that he has to say. Verse 9, he says, be hospitable to one another without complaint, which is the wording here is super interesting to me. And, I, and I'm, I apologize for being kind of a, like a language geek at this point, but the words that Peter uses in this book are just so packed with meaning. The word translated hospitable here is the Greek word philozenos. Now the, the word Philadelphia means Brotherly love, right? Right? A philo brother, or love, and, and Adelphos is, is brother. This is not that word. This is the philo, which is the love part, and xenos, which means stranger. Peter here is encouraging us as, as people that he's already identified as strangers and aliens in this world. He's encouraging us to have this love for strangers, for people that we don't know particularly well. For others who are new to the faith. For people who have questions about Jesus and, and need to, to deepen in their understanding of Him. 
That, that can only happen. That, that kind of, of growth can only happen if we're willing to be hospitable, loving towards those we don't know very well. And, and I appreciate that Peter writes these words because I think we need them. I, I think they're for, for us right now. Because listen, any, any, any church you go to, any church that you wander into, it's, it's going to be a group of people who know each other and love each other, right? Hopefully, if they're doing it right, it's going to be a family. People who have these shared experiences uh, through serving together and worshiping together over the years, and it's going to be close-knit. And, and there's a danger in that, even though that's a good thing and a wonderful, there's a danger in that of a church is becoming too inwardly focused and not being very good at loving others. We can't merely show brotherly love. We also have to be willing and able to show love for people that we don't know. For people who are, who are new to this church. Or for people who are new to any church anywhere and are just trying to understand who Jesus is and why He's so important. We have to show this kind of love to people who are searching and have tons of questions. and We have to be willing to step out of that, that comfortable family space a little bit and meet the needs of people who are looking for a place where they can worship God and grow deeper in their faith. I appreciate this. This, this verse here is for me because as an introvert, it's hard for me sometimes to reach out and connect with new people. But right here, uh, Peter encourages me to have a love for strangers without, without complaining about it, right? Without like, oh, but that's hard. But that's, that's my prayer and my desire. God, give me the ability to love people the way you do. Okay, so we have to have the right mindset of service. One that's expectant, focused on Christ and prayerful. We have to have the right heart of service. One that loves others and cares about them and is, is willing to, to sacrifice and give and meet their needs. Once those two things are where they need to be, uh, then we're ready for the, the next step, which is a life of service where we actually do some things. And, and I think that this is more than just a job that we hold or, or a role that we have in the church on Sundays. I think this is really more about like a life that's willing to be in service of God in any way He needs us. Look at verse 10 again. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, again, I think this is one of those places where the, the Greek is cool. Uh, the, the word that's uh, translated here as a special gift is actually this word charisma which is a, a, a form of the, the word grace. This is a gift of grace. God is gracing us with some responsibility. And, and the same, uh, slightly different form of that exact same word is used at the end of that same sentence 
when he talks about the manifold grace of God. So maybe a better translation would be, as each one has received this grace from God, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Because you've been given so much grace, and, and, and not just the saving grace, but the transforming grace and, and serving grace. Use that grace that God has given you. Be good stewards of that many-faceted grace that God's blessed you with by serving. Don't waste it. Don't waste the grace you've been given. Here, Peter shows us that living in this life of service is, is all about relying on God. Speaking utterances of God. Not, not sharing our own ideas or giving our own opinions or imposing our own personal preferences, but holding out the Word of God as the truth. Which means that we have to be students of the Word of God. We have to be diligent in our study of God's Word. Especially if we're going to be teaching it to others. Peter says the person who serves is to do so with the strength that God provides. Not, not in our own strength, merely, not, not merely with our own talents or abilities, but we're to serve in ways that go above and beyond the strength that we possess. And I don't know about you, but that, that idea is scary. But again, I think it's so that we're forced to say, okay, God, I'll step out and do this thing that I don't know how to do and that frightens me and seems intimidating, but you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to show up and carry me through this. I'm going to need you every step of the way. Again, I, I think that's so God gets all the glory. And, and ultimately, that's the benefit. That's the, that's the privilege. That's the reward for serving. That through our, our like puny, insignificant little lives, we get to be used by God Almighty to do eternally important things. When we are good stewards of the grace that God gives us, He gives us more of it. And what an awesome idea that is that, that the things that we do as as we faithfully serve, actually bring glory to God. That through even things that seem mundane and menial, we are worshiping God. And we get to draw closer to Him. I, I think maybe sometimes there's this idea in our minds of, of like spiritual gift and serving within the church that's connected to or akin to uh, like volunteer work that we might do out in the community, which, which is, again, not a, not a bad thing at all to volunteer and to help out in, in different ways. And there's, there's plenty of people that use their talents and their time and their money and their whatever to to help the less fortunate and, and it gives them like a sense of, of pride and satisfaction. And, and again, I'm, I'm not saying that that's at all a, a bad thing, but that's not what I'm talking about here. That's not what Peter is talking about here. We, we don't serve so that we feel better about ourselves 
We serve because by doing so, we get to be closer to our God. We serve because uh, through it, we get to spend time in God's grace. We get to become conduits of God's grace. Receiving His grace to serve and using that grace to bless others. That's why uh, a mindset uh, of service is, is absolutely essential. And a heart that desires to honor Him is, is absolutely essential. Because if, if we don't have the right mindset and if we don't have this right heart of love, we're ultimately then just going to end up serving for selfish reasons and under our own strength and ultimately for our own glory. When we serve for the right mindset and with, with this right heart and under God's strength, we get to, we get to be closer to Him. Okay, so with, with all that in mind, how do we answer the question? What is it that God is calling me to do? How am I supposed to serve? How, how do I figure out what it is that God needs me to do? Well, first, make sure that we have the right mindset of service, right? Your priorities, where they need to be. Are you eagerly anticipating the return of Christ? Is your, is your, are your eyes on Him? Is there, is there anything that's hindering your prayers? And second, do you have the right heart? Do you love people in this selfless, giving, sacrificial way? Are you hospitable? Not just friendly with people that you know, but even to strangers. Does the way that you love cover over a multitude of sins? Are you gracious and forgiving? And finally, are you relying on God's power and God's grace? And are you trusting Him to help you through? If so, then I think the answer to what it is that you are supposed to do depends more on what the needs of the body of Christ are. What is the need of the church that you're a part of? The answer to the question, what is it that you're supposed to do, depends more on what needs to be done in the church. Because I think maybe at the end of the day, spiritual gifts are less about some like special talent that you've been given and that you possess. And it's more about fulfilling the needs of the body. Which means that you, like you, you might have been a hand at one church that you used to go to, but you're going to be a foot in this church. Or, or you, you may have been gifted as a teacher 20 years ago, but now you're involved in a prayer ministry today. Or, or you may have had certain talents in administration, but the church already has plenty of those. And what they really need is a nursery worker. Because again, I don't think spiritual gifting is so much about us as it is about a healthy, functioning body of Christ. It's, it's more about serving Him and relying on Him than it is doing the things that we like and we think we're good at. Does that, does that make sense? I think really that's Paul's, like his whole point over in 1 Corinthians that there's it's one body that has many parts and we aren't all going to be the same. 
Uh, in your bulletin uh, this week, there's a handout that has a list of uh, some of the, the opportunities to serve. This is something that we run uh, a couple of different times a year. And again, this isn't like an exhaustive thing. This is just one of those uh, areas where, or some of those areas where we always could use a little extra help. And in uh, the inside of the bulletin jacket, there's like a new box that we just put in a few months ago that says serve and lead. And in that, we hope to every single week include something that will give you an opportunity to serve in some capacity in the church. I think the idea is that serving is a normal, natural part of our growth and maturity in the faith. But it's, it starts... Our journey starts with discovering who Jesus is, what He's done for us as we hear the Gospel and place our faith in Him. And then we get to come to church and worship and glorify God together and deepen in our understanding of Him through His Word. And then we get to grow even deeper in our faith as we connect with each other through these growth group Bible studies where we can get questions answered and, and learn more. But our Christian walk, it doesn't end with us like coming to faith and then being fed. There's another step. There's more to it. At some point, we're called to serve others. And I, my desire is to help everybody get to that point in their Christian walk because the Bible seems really clear that every believer is called and gifted by God. That's, that's, our, that's our purpose. That's our, our mission as a church to help people discover Jesus and to worship God and grow in their faith and also to serve others. May, may we serve faithfully with a heart of love and with the grace that God gives us. God, I thank You again for Your Word and for how it stretches us and convicts us. Lord, You've called us to serve You. Help us to understand what that means and what that looked like. Where we do have this uh, excited expectation that Jesus could come back at any moment and, and we're, we're eager for that to happen. That we have a heart that does love others and we do care about people. And Lord, we understand that ultimately, God, you, you are the one who is in control. And, and we thank you for the grace that you've provided for us, not just in saving us, but in equipping us. God, God, may we live our lives in that grace as we trust you, lean on you, and ultimately serve you. Thank you, God, that you would use us, that you would let us be a part of your will, your plan. Help us, God, to be faithful to do whatever it is that you've called us to do. And may you get all the glory and all the honor and all the praise for our lives. God, may it all be about you. In Jesus' name, amen.